Remember, what follows is not investment advice. Do the smart thing. Bury your money in a coffee can in the backyard. I'm Arthur S. Falls, and you're listening to Beyond Bitcoin. This is an effort to bring crypto communities together in conversation and expand general consciousness of decentralized services beyond just Bitcoin. I'm privileged to speak with people who can provide insight into the issues, technologies, and trends developing in the space. The guys behind the scenes have their own outlet, hangout sessions where members of different communities regularly meet to exchange ideas and perspectives. You're invited to join in. Details at the end. It's the 12th of June, and this week, Joel Deitz, co-founder of Swarm, a new crowdfunding platform built on Counterparty, joins us briefly to discuss the service and his ambition to streamline the process of creating and investing in crowdfunding equity tokens in both a legal and safe manner. The platform itself is seeking crowdfunding to support future development, with Swarm coins going on sale in just a few days. We've needed a platform which packaged Counterparty's capabilities into something to challenge the likes of Kickstarter and Indiegogo, and Joel has brought Swarm to the table in a very timely manner. Delivery of this functionality to the wider public will be a coming-of-age moment for the Metacoin concept, and a huge milestone for the crypto economy. It's fair to say that we'll be hearing plenty more from both Joel and Swarm in the future. After that, we get to hang out with Neil and Jonathan from Altcoin Labs, who started the first Altcoin meetup group in the US. We had a casual conversation covering education, what makes successful Altcoin, approaches to agnostic wallets, money as memes, and the importance of the experimentation taking place in the Altcoin world. I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did. Joel, the first question I have is, what does the legal backend of your system look like? We did a lot of research into what was allowable and not allowable before starting this. Um, so we kind of, our model was basically focused on a, a lot of legal research. And there are, you know, clearly things that are securities offerings, um, clearly things that are not, and then some things that, and there's some sort of gray areas. So we're, you know, we're basically planning to do things that we know are legal and or things that there's no specific regulations applied to for the indefinite future. And eventually we do expect that the, you know, U.S. regulators are going to issue some directives, et cetera, for people um, in this space and will, you know, basically plan to be compliant with those directives when they when they come along. Um, I, I've talked with a lot of you know legal people, um, and at least on the U.S. side, I'm not particularly worried um, because you know we we're being very proactive in addressing this stuff and and you know choosing a model that we don't think there's you know major problems associated with. Have you been speaking to regulators directly in your current jurisdiction or uh, or any others? Where you know most of my contacts are with legal people at this point, so I haven't taken the additional step of um, you know engaging with the the regulator regulators yet. Um, I suppose that will come soon enough. Um, and you know, to be honest, I'm very focused on providing a product that has 
um, you know, real value and provides a sort of due diligence and kind of investor protection in an even more robust way than exists in the kind of current environment and the stock markets and things like that. So I think, you know, we're still early stage in that. And I think there are, you know, legitimate concerns that people have um, about, you know, defrauding retail investors and things like that. But I think that the plan we have is once it's, you know, the platform is built, it'll just be a, a superior platform to, to anything else that exists, um, either in the kind of crowdfunding world or, or even in the kind of general, um, you know, NASDAQ and kind of, you know, um, Fortune 500 um, stock kind of offerings. Now, eToro is an interesting service that allows people to track the performance of various traders, like currency traders. Would you consider implementing a similar system to track the performance of asset creators and parties engaged in assessing the viability of an asset? Yeah, um, it's a little bit different in the sense that we want there to be some kind of early, you know, endorsement mechanism that becomes, you know, even maybe prior to the launch of a particular coin. Um, but, you know, that is kind of connected to the future success of that coin so that we can kind of allow, you know, anyone to endorse. But then, you know, you have data on the actual endorsements that people have done. Um, but in many ways, it, it's, that kind of social layer and kind of the idea of like following and kind of seeing what other people are doing and working to kind of have that degree of engagement. Um, you know, I think we can do, I think we can do a better job than eToro really in the sense that, um, you know, there are some kind of usability issues, uh, at least from my perspective as to what they're doing right now. But the general concept I think is a fascinating one. And, you know, there's no one doing it right now for the kind of crypto, um, equity side of things. You're providing an amazing opportunity to the everyman to participate as a venture capitalist in projects like the Oculus Rift, uh, only instead of getting a early release pre-sale unit, these people can actually secure equity in the project itself. Yeah, I, I mean, it is amazing. And, you know, it's such a pain that you know, right now in the U.S., you don't really have the option easily available. And, um, you know, and then you have these things like Oculus where really the people investing in it got screwed. I mean, it's, and it's, it's really sad, but, um, you know, that's why we need to do better. <laughs> and that's why, you know, this awesome possibility of crypto equity is, is so exciting. So because, because, you know, there's all these barriers that currently exist and, now, you're engaging in your own equity token offering. What value does a swarm coin offer to an investor? So the primary value that they have is that the swarm coins um, actually get, if you have them, you are going to receive coins periodically into your counter wallet um, from every future coin launch that we do. So if we go and launch, you know, an accelerator or, you know, some kind of, um, you know, decentralized web uh, coin, then you basically get some of those um, just for having Swarm coins. And that's, I would say that's the primary value. It's, it's the first time that this has been done. It's made um, fairly easy for us to do via the dividend feature of Counterparty. Um, and the 
the other thing is that you get sort of perks from having a scoring point. So the, the most obvious and kind of important one is that you are able to participate in the early phase of any kind of offering on our platform. So we, we, you know, we have a kind of phased approach even to our own um, offering right now, and we anticipate that we're going to continue doing it the same way and just give kind of early access to people who have a certain number of swarm points. So, you know, if that means if we're doing kind of another next generation thing on our, on our, on our platform like Ethereum and you want an early, then you should have some swarm coins. This sounds a lot like what BitShares and MasterCoin have been doing. Have you been involved with those guys at all? Um, I don't know all the BitShares guys personally, but I have talked with the many of the MasterCoin people and the MadeSafe. And um, yeah, I mean, I always studied all the models. You gotta love Skype. Now, I'd like to get back to the subject of due diligence and how you plan to make this work. Are you going to conduct that in-house or are you going to farm that out to the community or uh, or some combination of the two? Yeah, I think this is, you know, something that to a certain degree is yet to be determined exactly how we do it. Um, I think partially that kind of community-driven kind of due diligence thing is is not something that we have developed a platform to, for just yet. So that's something that I think is going to take a fair bit of technical work to have the ability to kind of list all these people who are providing the diligence and endorsements and things like that. Um, so like in the early, I think in the first phase of our, of our project, it will look a lot like a just Kickstarter Um uh, that's not that different, you know, in the sense that we have to kind of have some people either that are part of our staff or through these kind of accelerators and things like that that we're working with um, who provide that kind of initial vetting. And then, you know, what we want. And then as we actually build this kind of decentralized due diligence aspect, um, then we can kind of open it up. And that's, you know, I think personally, I think that the the sort of crowd or you know people who are engaged on these topics um if there's some kind of metrics behind it we'll actually do a better job than we are so we'll be able we'll be able to see that too you know um but that's what i anticipate and you know but the actual timeline for delivering that that kind of side of the platform is probably a couple months away at least it sounds like you're taking a very pragmatic approach yeah i'm a, I'm a pragmatic kind of guy so <laughs> i know it's really late where you are Joel. So I won't keep you too much longer. Could you explain why you chose to call the project Swarm? I was really inspired after going back and reading some of the literature on decentralized networks and particularly the possibility of having a you know monetary system based on decentralized networks. Uh, just the possibility of these things to evolve um, somewhat spontaneously and, and also not to say that they always have like the right answer immediately, you know, but that they just kind of constantly iterate and try different models. And, um, you know, when there's an open platform that has a free exchange of information, then kind of these things evolve, you know, much more rapidly than centralized systems. And particularly when I saw things in the kind of centralized finance or even like VC world, which has its own sort of centers to it, um, I just thought we could do so much better with uh, 
the sort of swarm intelligence or whatever collective intelligence that arises from these networks. So that's basically where the name came from. And and there's a lot, and there's been a lot of people writing on this sort of whole idea of having a swarm economy that you know uh, basically applies these principles to you know the economy as a whole, which I'm I'm very stimulated by. Cool. Good name. <laughs> so how can people find out more about this and get in touch with you and all of that kind of stuff? Um, you can come to our website, uh, swarmcorp.com, and that has links to you know our Twitter, which is the same, swarmcorp, or um, there's also going to be a 24-hour sort of live support system for folks who have questions. Hey, thanks for coming and talking to me on such short notice, Joel. Uh, it's been really great to hear about Swarm. This is something I've waited for, and I'm, I'm sure lots of other people have been waiting for it too. And I really hope that uh, we can catch up and talk about it more in the future. Well, thank you, Arthur. And, uh, you know, make sure you scoop up some Swarm and, uh, and the fundraiser while, while it's still available. So. I'm Neil, and this is uh, Jonathan. Yep. Could you guys explain to me Altcoin Labs, where it came from, what its mission is, and what you guys want to achieve? Uh, basically, uh, so it spawned out of our meetup group, Altcoin Chicago. So basically, late last fall, I was looking around for meetup groups. I, I did find the Bitcoin ones. I was absolutely surprised to see that there were no Altcoin ones, because at the time, I found those a little more interesting, and that's what that was what really on my mind, and I wanted to meet some more people that were into that space. Um, so I formed Gokko in Chicago, and um, it's just kind of been slowly growing since, and Jonathan came on board. We're, we're now the co-organizers of the group, and we do have some goals that we want to do that are uh, sort of outside of the regular meetup uh, sort of uh, paradigm, I guess. You know, we like meeting up and hanging out and discussing things, but we also like more sort of formal educational routes and um, kind of non-traditional things, you know, say like development projects and all that kind of stuff. Yes, you could do it, you know, in the open source sense uh, with friends that we've met through the meetup group, but we also have sort of, you know, just things that we want to try on our own as well. <laughs> so, yeah, not only that, um, you know, the, the other portion is uh, while we wanted to focus on user education and, you know, kind of getting cryptocurrencies out there, um, we also wanted to reach out to a lot of developers in the altcoin space um, to kind of see where these people are kind of coming from with their coin. Um, there's a lot of unique coins out there. There's uh, IPO coins, uh, you know, proof of stake coins, um, and each of them kind of have their own definition of what currency is. Um, and we wanted to kind of reach out to these developers and see, well, why did you create it? Um, this coin this way, uh, why would you choose deflationary rather than inflationary? Um, why did you choose inflationary rather than deflationary? Um, and, you know, kind of, kind of build trust behind that. Um, and, you know, I think the most important thing is kind of bringing a face to the coin because you don't get that on Bitcoin talk or uh, anywhere that these coins are kind of released. 
and um, trust is kind of a big issue. Yeah, it, it really is. And communities often need a face to rally around or to bring a human element to what is essentially a, a very <laughs> dry yeah. subject. Yeah, yeah. The, putting the face of the name is extremely important, I'd say, in the Auckland space because there's a lot of trust when you're talking about new economies and there should be trust. And unfortunately, we're in a position now where a lot of altcoins have sort of secret teams and you don't really know well, if there's something going on in the background. It's hard to verify, but when you actually meet people you know, in person uh, or at least hear their message directly from them, I think that it, it puts a different perspective on the coin because there's a real association there, right. which is, there's just value in that. And I think that really helps establish trust. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, and to kind of put that forward, uh, you know, so with the people that we're kind of educating, we want to kind of, you know, mash them up with the developers and, you know, kind of, you know, that's our long-term goal here, right? Um, so we have kind of two different components of Altcoin Labs where it's education and kind of speaking to developers and seeing what they're doing. Eventually, we want to kind of combine those two and kind of say, you know, well, if you have any questions, let's speak to these developers directly. Yeah. So I think that would be the, the greatest thing. I think we're working on somewhat similar projects. We have a, uh, we've been hosting Hangout sessions with, um, with the developer from BitShares, okay. Dan Larimer. And we're trying to get other people on board to do just that as well. And it's been really successful. We've got a bunch of questions from the community and a bunch of community participation. It's uh, It's been really great. And certainly for me, just to actually hear these guys talk helps not just to connect with the developers themselves, but also with the community surrounding the coin and to see that other people are really into this and have their own attitudes mm -hmm. and ideas that can shape maybe how uh, an altcoin is formed and certainly how I perceive the altcoin and its uh, its future potential. So I guess that kind of brings me to another question. How do you guys find attitude, the attitude of a community and the attitude of developers shapes a coin and how that affects the community mm -hmm. involvement? I think that's a really good question. Um, so personally, I discovered uh, Bitcoin in uh, 2011, and I started reading everything that I could about it. And I'm a software developer, and I have a very technical background. And it was one of those things where I was fascinated by the technology. And the forums back then were largely, um, it's kind of dry. The threads that I was reading were, they were great, I mean, informative, but, you know, they were more sort of technically oriented. And I felt in some sense that, like, uh, new users had a harder time clinging on a little bit. Uh, I can see easily why they would be uh, sort of turned off to the topic. Later on, I found uh, Litecoin and Feathercoin. And Litecoin, again, the forums were just, I felt, a little dry, a little not great for the new users. And in contrast, like um, the Feathercoin one, I felt like, was the complete opposite. Because one of the things that, one of the problems that I had was that being a technical person, like I realized I couldn't describe to my wife like what Bitcoin is. Uh, I didn't have the words to physically say it. There weren't enough analogies out, but that started to change, and I really started to see that from the Feathercoin forums. I felt like people were actually taking the time to talk to new people, to make analogies, to describe things in a certain way that like it actually kept new users interested. I could almost see the new user light bulbs like, oh, I sort of get this this particular thing or this part of the idea. That, I think, is 100% attitude. 
<laughs> the thing is, it's the same information of Bitcoin and Litecoin, the same technology, but the thing is the attitude of the community really shaped it. And I felt like it was attracting so many new people. To a much bigger extent, we see that with Dogecoin now. <laughs> Dogecoin is one of the arguably most accessible coins that there is. And I think that's because people are taking the time to talk about it. Right. And um, with uh, with Dogecoin, you know, I was kind of... Uh, I was with the community and, uh, you know, I was on Bitcoin Talk day zero, um, or day one, rather, uh, you know, when it was first released. And um, I remember there was this sequence of just ridiculous coins being kind of released, um, you know, everything from Boss Coin to Noodley Appendage Coin, um, you know, all these, like, coins you don't hear about, you know, on Bitcoin Talk. And everyone was, like, yelling scam, you know, pre-mine, you know, um, whatever. There's Pump and dump, dump. There's plenty of trolls on Bitcoin talk. You know, I find them hilarious, but, um, you know, at some point, uh, everything, the, the landscape was so ridiculous and there was no innovation being released. It was just blatant Litecoin clones. Um, and then Dogecoin came out. And at this point, it was so ridiculous. Um, everything was so ridiculous. The, the release rate of these coins was so ridiculous that no one, when people saw Dogecoin, they were like, this is, this is a complete joke, and rather than getting angry, they thought it was completely hilarious. Um, so a lot of trolls were just like, you know what? Yeah, let's let's throw our miners towards it, whatever. Um, and you know, I was uh, I was there, and I was just like, you know what? This is hilarious. I'm I'm gonna do it too. In the spirit of the internet, you know, I'm just gonna point my miner towards Dogecoin just just because. Um, and after after day one, I remember uh, day two, it was released. There was two articles that were released on Geek.com and Geekosystems. Um, and for an altcoin, I've never seen um, any article day two of release, you know, kind of being written about any cryptocurrency. Um, and I think it was then that I realized that Dogecoin was going to become this phenomenon. You know, it was, uh, I realized that, this cryptocurrency was going to become a meme within itself. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that was, a, you know, that kind of playful attitude from the very beginning is, is what shaped that very welcoming community. Um, yeah. it's, it's what shaped, uh, you know, this uh, lighthearted kind of trading system uh, or tipping system. And uh, it, it's fundamentally built on top of a joke, but at the same time, it you know, user education and... Um, community awareness, uh, it's its not a joke. You know, it's uh, something that's great. And I think Dogecoin is, or, you know, Dogecoin has uh, kind of solidified itself as, uh, as a great donation and tipping coin. It's interesting you use the word meme, because really, Bitcoin itself is, in a way, the mother of all internet memes. It's funny, because um, there is uh, this, uh, I, I saw this, uh, like, Dogecoin party over in uh, the... Uh, New York Bitcoin Center, and I saw a video for it. There's this, this like, there's this guy that looked kind of kooky. And he pulls up a dollar, and uh, you know, he he shows the pyramid. He's like, you know, fiat money is in fact based off of a meme. This pyramid on your dollar is a meme, you know, and it's nothing more than that, you know. And George Washington is a meme, and you know, thinking of it that way, it's like, yeah, yeah, it is, you know. I I, I thought it was really interesting. It's a cultural meme. Um, but yeah, Bitcoin is in fact a meme. Yeah. Um, but uh, Dogecoin is the first coin that was built off of an internet meme 
port it over into a cryptocurrency and you know it flourished from there and i think that was it's amazing <laughs> yeah, yeah definitely really pushed that that fun lovable attitude in it made the stuff fun really mm -hmm. i mean because again bitcoin like going the technical sides even those when the technical sides are pretty dry and not a lot of people are that interested in it yet they're interested in being able to do the things that they want to do and and casually tip and uh the things that they do seeing as we're talking about doge because it is a really interesting idea and phenomenon to try and understand what made uh doge successful that no one saw the importance of community i don't think at least no one was so aware of it until doge came along and really showed everyone by achieving such incredible success and i wonder what's going to come out of the blue like doge and what's going to be the factor the hidden factor that causes that coin to experience success i would say that there are uh, as we speak there are coins that um, have been released that have pushed a lot of innovation um, that we're not even aware of um, today. <laughs> or, or rather, I think people are sort of dismissing the, the value of the innovation right. at this point in time. Right. Um, and the reason why I say that is uh, uh, during our altcoin meeting, um, one of the things that I've always said is, you know, by month, you, you see a coin rise, um, you know, 2000% in value or, you know, 1,000% in value, you know, some ridiculous amount within the month. Um, and, well, and to be more clear, like each month, there's at least one coin that is doing 1,000% rises. Right, right. And um, while long term, I don't believe that's sustainable, I do, I do think that something like, uh, for example, this, this month, uh, I think Darkcoin can be highlighted, right? Uh, Darkcoin, um, I believe, rose from a dollar eighty-nine cents to current day. Uh, it's currently fourteen dollars per coin, um, and that's a significant increase. It's phenomenal. The reason why, it's, yeah, the, it's phenomenal. I mean, you, you know, you're not going to get that in the stock market, honestly. <laughs> so, um, but you know, uh, the reason why that's happened is there. There's a coin, uh, basically, Darkcoin combined combines CoinJoin, right, puts it into a wallet. Um, not only that, it uses a different proof of work, uh, which is the X11 algorithm. Um, and those kind of innovations, those two innovations alone have pushed forward Darkcoin to uh, current day the, the third largest market cap, you know, third only to Litecoin and Bitcoin. That's one coin that, that hasn't been talked about um, really and uh, it's, you know, we've seen it gain significant value because of these small innovations. And actually, I want to point out uh, Vertcoin, I think, is another one, VERT uh, coin. Um, this is a coin that's, you know, in the altcoin space right now. It's a little older <laughs> and, of course, just being a couple months. Um, it's one of those coins that changed out the proof of work algorithm. And uh, whether or not people have seen the value of what it's going to be yet, uh, I think remains to be seen because we're at the point now where uh, the script networks like Litecoin are being secured by the ASICs as they're coming out. I think that we haven't seen anything in terms of pass rate yet. Uh, it's going to increase as new generations, next generation script ASICs and stuff come out. And there will be a market need for other coins that are not 
or I mean, basically ASIC resistant, I would say, because there are always going to be people that are finding new and interesting ways that need to use the technology that they have on hand, which largely, I would say, are GPUs and or CPUs right now. Right. So Vercoin is one, I would say, is it's out already, but I think it's uh, uh, something to keep an eye on. Right. And and the biggest thing here is, you know, that I, I want to emphasize is, um, you know, it's, these these coins have been released. Um, a lot of the newly innovative coins that are going to push something forward, I I can almost yeah I can basically guarantee that they're out there on Bitcoin Talk one way or another, um, and you know the thing that people kind of underestimate is um, kind of the proof of work innovation. Um, it, it's it's a huge thing to me. Um, if uh, a coin kind of has this new algorithm that's kind of associated with it. Um, with Litecoin, you know, back in the days of Bitcoin versus Litecoin, right? Um, Litecoin being the major altcoin. Um, Litecoin switched the proof-of-work algorithm to script. Um, and a lot of Bitcoiners, when ASICs were released, is were just like, well, you know, Litecoin's going to become relevant because there's... Um, you know, this huge piece of technology that's going by Moore's law, you know, from CPU, GPU to finally from FPGA to an ASIC, um, you know, there's there's industry money backing Bitcoin. So Litecoin is going to become irrelevant. Um, and I'm pretty sure that there were a lot of Bitcoiners who thought, well, wait a minute, it's not going to become irrelevant. Um, there's going to be these GPUs, which are considered obsolete by Bitcoin standards, pointed towards Litecoin. Um, and sure enough, we see the Litecoin kind of hash rate being secured uh, by these, um, you know, GPUs. And, you know, now it's progressed towards ASICs. Um, and it's kind of followed this Moore's Law schema of CPU, um, GPU, FPGA, and ASIC. You know, it's finally reached that ASIC stage. Um, so I think history is repeating itself in the sense that a lot of people are underestimating these coins that are being released, um, and they're pushing a small innovation. Uh, but in the scheme of things, um, the small innovation can affect things very heavily. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and it, it you know it's it's still early days, as we kind of always say um, in the cryptocurrency space. Um, and these very small innovations are going to push something forward that is much larger in the scheme of things. So, um, yeah, that's that's what I would say. It's already been released. The coin has been released. It's just a matter of finding it. You know, um, it's somewhere on Bitcoin Talk right now. I can guarantee that. That's that sense of looking for the needle in the haystack is it's really exciting. You know, it's it's like uh, it feels like a bit of a gold rush kind of. You mind Litecoin, right? Neil. Neil, yeah, sorry. Yes, yes. <laughs> no worries. I've been mining. Uh, yeah, Bitcoin and Litecoin uh, and Feathercoin from the earlier sort of days. Of course, after all of the alts exploded them a little all over the place. Because I I mined Litecoin at the start of last year uh, for a while, and I mean okay. I look back now and I had um, if I just bought Litecoin with the money I poured into this ridiculous mining rig, I'd be an extremely <laughs> wealthy man. But I guess you know, and I I looked at Darkcoin as well recently, and I didn't uh, I didn't choose to invest in it because. For whatever reason, you know, it just it didn't appeal to me at the time, and now uh, and now I see it take off. It's really interesting that this uh, to try and find a formula that on which you can map out the the future success of currencies. It's uh, it's a really 
it's a really interesting yeah. and difficult challenge. It, it is a tough challenge. And I would actually say that there is no formula, unfortunately. Yeah, there, there is no, yeah, I would agree with that for sure. I mean, it's all based off of community and uh, kind of subjective need to time, you know. Um, yeah, I would say that uh, it fulfills a niche within the time period. Um, and it may or may not be a short-term kind of niche or need. Um, you know, so that's what kind of makes things difficult, you know, even even for us to kind of predict uh, something that might become big. Now that we're seeing these these coins develop, what do you think the next step is and what do you think the real value and the real the real life application is for these this multitude of new coins? OK, so I think that there's a lot of ways to think about uh, that. On one hand, <clears throat> what you could say is what kind of applications are altcoins bringing to the space. On the other hand, you could say what kind of applications are being built on top of uh, blockchain technology. And I have a few different, I guess, ways of thinking about it. Um, let's see. So in some sense, when I think of like the higher level kind of, or lower level rather, um, what kinds of applications are being built, I think, again, we're just a little too early days right now. I think that we're at a point where we're seeing infrastructure being built and not applications. Um, I was trying to uh, describe someone recently to someone about the my thought on sort of the smart contracts and the 2.0 kind of uh, Bitcoin stuff and how that fits into the altcoin space. But basically, the way I see it is that I don't see that stuff as applications. That's the, that stuff is all infrastructure in my mind. Like if you think of the blockchain as sort of the early days of the internet, <clears throat> the smart contracts are just kind of like getting to the point where we're realizing that, you know, you need to secure some kind of information and you need like a system of usernames and passwords. So there's a lot of people out there building systems for authentication, basically, for being able to log into a system. Um, now, the thing is, is nobody really cares about the login system. Uh, it's, it's infrastructure. People want to just actually get access to the information that they're looking for to do what they need to do. Um, whether, you know, whether it's just a website or, you know, something in, important, or, you know, doesn't really matter. So on one side, that's how I see things. But then on the others, it's like applications built on top of the blockchain. Well, <laughs> there are things. For example, there, there are uh, UltraCoin, for example, is uh, with uh, building with uh, smart contracts built into it. So you could argue that this is both infrastructure and an application built on top of it. Um, I, I dare uh, mention Huntercoin, uh, which is basically it's sort of a game on top of the blockchain. I had a look at Huntercoin um, recently, and that is a really fascinating idea to build a build a game into into the proof of work algorithm. So it's actually human effort that that mines the coin, which is it's mm -hmm. it seems yeah. a bit weird. But then when I think of then when I think of actually looking for these genuine genuinely scarce tokens in a game format it makes me think of minecraft a bit and uh and that it's there's a really addictive addictive kind of element to that i didn't actually i didn't actually download and load it up i just had a look online but um at their website but yeah that was a really unusual concept that i it really kind of came out of out of left field i never never really thought about it yeah i mean we we saw Huntercoin uh, very early days uh, when it was first released again. Um, and 
the thing that really interested me was having an MMO built on the blockchain. Um, with with each move, you know, as you see the wallet build, you actually see the first player that's released, right? Um, then you see other players kind of join the game. Uh, then you see every move that the player kind of makes um, as the book as the blockchain kind of progresses. So each um, each uh, block that's kind of you know uh, each uh, ledger of moves is kind of just going into your wallet. Um, and I think that uh, it, it's a serious kind of it's a serious application within uh, blockchain technology because while it's not refined right now. Um, it's the very first game uh, coin that was built on top of a blockchain. Um, and games are kind of a huge industry. I mean, there's whole kind of ecosystems within, uh, you know, uh, like World of Warcraft, right? Uh, you could kind of exchange items for, uh, for money and for wild gold. Um, and then there's uh, Team Fortress 2, right? Um, I was kind of big in that, too. It's... Uh, you know, you're exchanging, you could exchange money for hats, you know, um, unusual hats and all that. Uh, and, you know, to kind of combine uh, coins uh, within a game and, uh, you know, you're rewarded for performing well and you kind of get this currency which is worth actual value and, you, you know, you have that liquidity where you could kind of transfer it into Bitcoin or you could kind of keep it into Hunter coin and make it work within that ecosystem. Um, I think that's it's a huge innovation that people are kind of dismissing. Um, and again, you know, this is this is something that was released on Bitcoin Talk that not many people know about. Um, but you know, I it it's going to push a lot of innovation forward. Uh, you know, someone else is going to kind of pick this up and say, "Hey, you know, Hunter Coin was really interesting, um, but this is how we can kind of make this application better." Um, one of the things that Hunter Coin's kind of suffering through right now is. While early days it was, uh, you know, a human mineable coin, um, now it's kind of become riddled with bots. And, you know, a lot of people are like, well, you know, we could kind of mine this coin manually, but it's more efficient with bots and we could actually profit off of it. So <laughs> yeah. it's better this way, you know. Um, but, you know, someone might make a game uh, built off of the blockchain that's, in fact, bot resistant. And, uh, you know, it, for some, I don't know, make transaction times faster in some way. And, you know, make the blockchain build a little bit faster. It, it would be interesting to see, and um, it's uh, you know, it's just one small application. Again, you know, it's one small innovation that I think, in the scheme of things, is going to become very big. You know, um, I don't think this is the end of uh, cryptocurrency-based games. You know, it's it's just the beginning. It's it seems really an arbitrary application, and it seems quite quite strange and tr very trivial. But there's more to it there. There's a sense of there's a sense of something really important going on as well. When I look at a screenshot of a little guy and a bunch of coins, it makes me think kind of Sonic the Hedgehog, you know, that yeah. that like you know, that really kind of that childish enthusiasm. But there's just that yeah. extra dimension that knowing there's this real scarcity underlying the uh, underlying the tokens. And I and I wonder if all in-game currencies in the future will wind up on blockchains. It seems that these computer games have to have, especially these MMOs, have to have really well-planned. I know I've heard uh, I've heard interviews about this before. Really well-planned internal economies, just to make sure everything 
works properly yeah. and they don't undergo ridiculous in- inflation as more players into the game and earn more gold. Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny because um, I remember in RuneScape, uh, you know, th- this is just like 10 years ago or something. Uh, and, uh, you know, we there was this central exchange uh, in RuneScape where, you know, you could kind of see uh, the chart rate for, let's say, a pickaxe, right? And the pickaxe allows you to mine, um, you know, silver. And it's a, it's a silver pickaxe. And... Uh, Basically, there's not a lot of demand for this pickaxe because it's so easy to create in the game. Um, but, you know, there's a group of friends where, uh, you know, that I kind of, a circle of friends in the game that I kind of went into. And they said, hey, you know what? You know what we could do? If we buy all, all these pickaxes and make them scarce, we could actually make the exchange rate, you know, kind of go up. And, um, you know, it, at a certain point, uh, people are going to start kind of buying these pickaxes at an expensive rate and you know it's going to become more and more scarce and the concept of that was really interesting to me and i was just like wow okay yeah let's let's do that okay yeah let's advertise that and um you know more and more people were doing it within this game economy and you know the the price of the pickaxe just skyrocketed and then you know my friend's like okay now we got to sell and i'm just like wait why and he's like because we're gonna make all this gold if we sell all these pickaxes and it was funny because I didn't know back then that I was in fact participating on an MMO um, pump and dump. <laughs> you know, and that hilarious. is truly diabolical. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that at all. But um, you know, I was just like some fourteen-year-old playing on an MMO, um, and I didn't know that there is this economic kind of thing or principle behind this. Uh, and we were just a bunch of fourteen-year-olds playing around and. Sure enough, you know, we gained all this gold, and then we're like, okay, rinse and repeat. Let's do this to this item and this item. And, like, you know, let's get more rare items and make them more scarce. And, you know, now we, you know, we gain control of a market, which is really funny. Um, but, you know, yeah, in-game economies are very real, and they, they are even within games subject to uh, a lot of things that we're subject to in the real world. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it... With crypto, you know, it could go that route without a doubt. Well, that you know, that uh, foreshadows so much of what we've seen since uh, with with these cryptocurrency economies, and it it makes me think that this was this has been building for such a long time because we've been subconsciously exposed to these ideas and these really powerful these powerful forces that we weren't necessarily even aware that we were playing with, and yeah, and now here we are. We've got this. Uh, this explosion of economic activity and and thought that has been fermenting for for a decade, like you said, or, or decades. Yes. In some sense, I mean, this is the first time in the digital age that we're able to actually tweak economies. We're able to, to play with mm-hmm. them uh, like many other things. And I think that that is extremely important because you're right. There are a lot of uh, economic ideas that need experimentation mm-hmm. and there was almost no platform to do them because, you know, it's arguably uh, illegal to sort of really try real economic experiments with right. in the grand scheme with um, sort of uh, physical assets. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, yeah, there are plenty of economic experiments for sure. I mean, uh, you know, country coins being a big economic experiment. Um, it's been very interesting, you know, just kind of watching the trends behind that. And 
Um, sure, you could argue that, uh, say, country coins is a sort of trivial innovation. <laughs> like, you know, it, it may not be technical, but it's still an innovation in the sense right. that they are looking, they have identified uh, or perhaps identified uh, a niche and they can fulfill a demand. Um, whether or not, you know, it works and pans out really depends on, on the market. The market will always decide that. But, right. Uh, country coins, I think, are a really important experiment. Um, that, you know, you, we're going to see all kinds of uh, sort of trivial things coming out. And like, first off, we love this. We're, we're in the altcoin space because we think that people should do whatever they want to do and kind of let the market uh, decide uh, how, it's, uh, how it goes from there, I guess. But I think it's really important that people are doing this. For example, I saw a, uh, a summer coin, <laughs> which made me think, um, okay, so sure, you could have seasonal coins. You know, what's, what's next after? Why not? Maybe altcoin, <laughs> you know? Um, and it's interesting. And is there actually a demand for this? Is is it filling a need? I don't know, but I it's I can't say that it's definitely not yet. Just to to diverge a little bit, um, I know you guys mentioned because we have all these coins, and I know personally I have a lot of I have a lot of little altcoins, and I have them on a centralized exchange. Actually, I have them on a, a few centralized exchanges. I haven't lost any. Uh, to a collapsing exchange, somehow they seem to just like drop out from underneath us, left, right, center. Um, and I wonder how you mentioned before a uh, in your interview on Let's Talk Bitcoin, an agnostic uh, wallet. Um, sure. I wonder how you uh, are. You guys working on something like that? And if if you are or aren't, how do you think an agnostic processing system like that might work? Sure. Okay. I think, uh, well, first off, uh, just uh, regarding the number of wallets, yeah, I have way too many wallets on my computers and way too many accounts at different exchanges. And, and congratulations to anyone who has not lost anything. I think that's great. <laughs> Keep it up. Um, okay. But as far as the agnostic processing system, um, we did sort of mention that in passing. We've had discussions about this a number of times. Um, it is not currently something that we are working on implementing. Um, it, it is an idea that we think that somebody out there is probably working on. And we do think it'll be useful because the, sort of the holy grail is you can kind of pay with whatever you have and the receiver can receive whatever they would like. And it just kind of matches up. And with altcoins, it's getting uh, the need for that is, is sort of increasing more and more because there are just way, there's too many alts and everybody has their favorites and the ones that they actually uh, you know, sort of track the most and, and keep with them and uh, keep portable. Um, how could a system like that work? I mean, in some sense, there, there's a ton of ways. I mean, the, probably one of the easiest ways, I would think, is that you essentially just have a, a QR scanning application. And when the QRs are generated, uh, for example, some of the, even the Bitcoin public keys right now, when you scan the QR, it has some information, let's say Bitcoin colon private key. You could always uh, sort of namespace to, uh, separate these things. So you could have like Litecoin colon, you know, public key and, uh, you know, Darkcoin colon uh, public key. And really it's just, in the, in the simplest model, unfortunately it would be centralized because I'm just making this yeah. up off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, so you sort of scan this, the application would scan this key with that, uh, with that namespace on it and send it towards the, the application. Now the, like, so let's say the web server, and that application on the server would have to take care of either being hooked into exchange, into an exchange, uh, whether it's through APIs or actually is an exchange itself, um, 
you know, and then it can actually provide, once it actually receives the funds, it could do the exchange right then and deliver it to where it needs to go in whichever format that it needs to go. I think it's a great idea. That's a really simple way to do it. I don't, I'm sure that there are some problems with that. And uh, obviously, security is always a concern as well. And legality, you know, one of the things is we're personally not interested in running an exchange right now because um, there, there are some uh, legal hurdles that need to be uh, overcome. And that, that's not necessarily the path that we're setting down right now. No, that's interesting. Yeah, because we've got these... Uh... We've got these HD wallets that use the a mnemonic seed to to generate a private key, which yes. is, I mean, theoretically you should be able to use that same seed for a number of different for a number of different private keys with the, you know under different algorithms and use that common seed so as a that's a completely different approach and that's also a valid one. Um, what sort of uh, what sort of bothers me about that a little bit is like I. While it's convenient, I kind of personally don't like the idea of having one key that is, generates all. Um, in some sense, it's extremely less convenient for me to have my 100 altcoin wallets or whatever, but I like the separation, sort mm -hmm. of, you know? I'm the kind of person who, with my um, SSH keys, you know, I, have, I generate a new key, key pair for almost every server I connect to, and I connect to a lot, which means I have a, a lot of Wow, keys. that is now discipline. <laughs> yeah, I'm old school. <laughs> I'm definitely old school. And I do have some security, you know, actually quite a bit of uh, experience in the security field. But um, it, it's just something that I do. I realize it's not convenient, and I realize most people are much happier just having one key that they use on every server. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not what I choose personally, you know. Mm -hmm. So I guess the it's the age-old compromise between security and convenience, and there just is not... There's just no way to there's just no way to reconcile those two things. At the moment, I'd say that's true. I mean, again, we keep saying this is early days. Yeah. I mean, this is security is something that nobody really wants to think about. They just want to know that whatever they're using is secure. And I think that we're, you know we're definitely getting towards that point. I mean, we're just starting to see the infrastructure being built up. And like I said, I, I don't think that the the big applications are necessarily there yet. You know, I mean, if if you think of like say uh, the blockchain. And the protocols of these coins is, you know, being something like TCP/IP. What I'm saying is, we haven't seen the internet yet, which is much bigger than that. And um, I think that it's a different terminology. Whereas, like people on the street know what the internet is; they have no idea what TCP/IP is. So I think that, uh, yeah, just getting the evolution is happening. It's it's very slow and it's very quick at the same time. Um, but I try to keep the sort of long-term perspective on where things are heading because truly it takes time to build infrastructure that's going to last for decades, you know, hopefully much more than that. Especially when you're having to figure out exactly what the, what that infrastructure is going to be as well. At the same time, we've got to go through this iterative process of experimentation and finding what works. Yeah. Yes, it's the, the beauty of the creative process. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's like you said, we're getting to actually explore and experiment with economic systems on a scale that's never been possible before. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, one, one example that I always bring up is um, kind of early days of Linux. Uh, you, you kind of have, um, you know, the major OSs, which is, you know, Debian, Red Hat, um, and, you know, Slackware. Uh, and... From that, you, you kind of have forks of these OSs, right? You have 
for um, for Debian, one of the biggest forks is kind of Ubuntu, right? And then fork of Ubuntu is Ubuntu, Lubuntu. You know, all these other kind of projects spawning from this central kind of operating system. And it's because they're open source. Um, now, Linux empowered people to create their own definition of operating systems. Uh, Bitcoin has empowered people to create their own definitions of currency. So um, that we think that's the coolest aspect of altcoins. Um, you're creating your own definition of currency, and you know you're putting it out there. Um, so we're yeah, we're definitely going to see it evolve rapidly. While we're talking about definitions, could you just guys describe your education efforts and kind of how effective they've been, what you've learned from them, and sure. how how you feel this innovation in this space is progressing? Okay. So uh, one of the reasons why I think education is really important is because any way you spin it, um, this technology is complicated. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of sort of easier ways to think about it, but that doesn't change the fact that it's complicated stuff. Um, what we found, I think, is that in, in speaking to people and or hosting presentations, um, there's such a wide mix in the audiences, um, it's kind of hard to nail down any one thing because... You know, for example, let's say that you target towards beginners. Like, people don't necessarily know if they're beginners or not, or advanced users. They don't know if they're advanced or not. So um, you tend to have people with large, um, uh, basically just big gaps between the, the knowledge bases, I guess. And, you know, that, that's normal, and I think kind of in any field. Um, I think that one of the challenges we found is, you know, we sort of do overview material, but then we also talk on pretty advanced topics and it can be an interesting thing when it's all happening at the same time in the same room because you can sort of see some people understanding the higher level overviews and being completely eyes glazed over and lost on the advanced topics and the thing is we're not trying to you know uh, bore them or anything it's just that you know in particular when questions come up the, some of the, the say more advanced people tend to dominate the questions because uh, I don't know for some reason um, Maybe the, the newer people that are just hearing about it need some time to let it soak in a bit and or would prefer to talk about it one-on-one -on -one and offline, which we always encourage. I mean, we, we ask people to, to contact us outside of um, uh, different events as well. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, we, we actually, we very recently ran a, an event over at Freegate Chicago, um, and it was just a talk. Uh, we had, a I think, a participation of about 25 people, 25 yeah, maybe 35, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, we, we had we had a few people kind of come in. And um, it was interesting because some of them were from the Chicago uh, kind of cryptocurrency space, you know, uh, about five of them. But the rest of them were just, you know, kind of 30, you know, people that we've never seen before. Um, and the, the questions were very interesting. Some of them asked very simple questions like, you know, how do I buy Bitcoin? What do you think is the most secure kind of method of storing my Bitcoin. Um, and a lot of people asked a lot of advanced questions like, uh, you know, how do I create my own cryptocurrency? Um, what what kind of goes into uh, building a community? Um, what kind of marketing strategy might a coin have? Uh, what are your thoughts on country coins? <laughs> you know, um, it's, it's varying based, you know, as Neil said, based off of experience. Um, but we want to welcome everyone from the most experienced person to the least. Um, yes. It's important to recognize that, I mean, 
to this day, people still don't know what Bitcoin is. A lot of people don't know what Bitcoin is. Right. They don't know what blockchains are. They don't know how they work. And the, there's nothing wrong with that. But like we are interested in trying to help those people understand so that they can make the basic decision of, is Bitcoin something that I'm interested in? Is cryptocurrency like viable? Right. Is there any you know tangible sort of, uh, I guess, any kind of like value to this stuff? Yeah. Um, and I, I think the biggest thing is, um, that, you know, a lot of people in the cryptocurrency space, we call ourselves evangelists, right? But I don't think people see us that way, unfortunately. I think people see um, people who are kind of preaching the word of Bitcoin as a salesman, you know, mm -hmm. and that's really unfortunate. Um, Jackson Palmer, who, you know, created Dogecoin, he actually said something in, uh, you know, a recent interview with Kevin Rose uh, that was very interesting. He said, you know, one of the slogans to Dogecoin is one Doge equals one Doge. And the reason why that is, is Dogecoin, to Jackson Palmer, Doge, Dogecoin is, means so much more than just the, the current rate of exchange. It means, you know, community. It means uh, a cryptocurrency that gives freedom. It has a lot of definitions attached to it. I don't think that Bitcoin needs to be sold. I think people just need to be educated on what it is and they can make their own decision. Mm -hmm. And the decision will be very positive to kind of, you know, sell it as, you know, well, you know, we need to get merchant adoption. You know, we need to kind of get people in the space. Uh, that kind of hype is it's misguided. It sells the currency short. You know, it, it sells these cryptos short. And education is the path to actually making people realize, hey, you know what? I don't need to be sold on this. This is a wonderful technology. Mm -hmm. You know, it. Unfortunately, the the space is kind of moving towards this salesman approach, and I think it should move towards more of an educational approach. So, do you guys have any education materials? I'm thinking instructional no, no, videos I, and things like that. At the moment, no. We we are working on building up a base, but. Uh, no, at the moment we are mostly just uh, putting together our materials for for each presentation and for each audience at the, at the right now. Because it, right, yeah, right, I think we're concentrating a little bit more on the kind of the Chicago space and reaching out to uh, communities here, um, you know, just so we could kind of solidify some things and you know get people introduced to who we are uh, within Chicago. Um, but yes, we're we're definitely. We're looking forward to kind of uh, creating, uh, you know, some tutorials and, you know, possibly some videos. Uh, yeah, so that, that's kind of roadmap items for sure. Because I'm really interested in examining successful efforts in in all cryptocurrency space and finding, you know, in all in all facets of it and finding, isolating what makes those those efforts successful. Be they producing a successful cryptocurrency and bootstrapping it uh, supporting a, developing and supporting a community or or education efforts as well which is something that is really it's no one people don't really want to go there it's a bit messy uh, education is is difficult it's not something it's not one of these easy fixes or that you can throw a lot of uh throw a lot of brain power behind and just come up with an answer it takes it takes sure. understanding a, a kind of person who we're not necessarily, we don't necessarily uh, empathize with in the same way as we do with other members of the of the community because obviously that we're members of the same community. 
And I'm really interested in seeing how you guys are, what kind of success, how you guys, what success you guys achieve or experience and what exactly brings you guys to that kind of success. So, okay, success is, a, is an interesting word. Um, and whether or not we're going to be successful by certain measures, we don't know yet. Um, what, I would, what I do know is that we are very, very passionate about the topic of cryptocurrencies and altcoins in particular. Um, we are, basically, you're right, education is hard. However, it took us a while to understand what we know uh, in this space. And we are very, very happy to tell most people <laughs> pretty much what we know because we believe that when they understand it, they're going to be able to make that decision for themselves. And really sort of, you know, we, we like to see the light bulbs go off. <laughs> and when people actually understand and then they, they're free to make their own decisions, again, we don't want to like sort of preach about any particular point or anything like that. But when we talk about the technology and then we sort of set up a situation, you know, I mean, you, you sort of describe what, uh, you know, one or two things about certain coins, you know, whether they're innovations or just uh, uh, genre ideas or something like that are important to them. Because ultimately, like, people need to be able to use this stuff. I mean, I would like the most if we spoke to somebody who was completely new, who had never heard of cryptocurrencies, who all of a sudden creates the, you know, a really great economy and or application built on top of this. I mean, that that's really what we want. That's as an educator, I think it's always your your sort of goal. You know, you, if you're a uh, high school teacher or something, you want your students to succeed and become, you know, uh, president or CEO or something. You know, <laughs> it's just the it's sort of the motivation behind it. And if you're passionate about it, you're going to kind of do it anyways. Um, what we found though is that like we we were spending a lot of time just sort of uh, uh, sort of educating or talking with people like. Uh, all on the side and we decided to really just formalize it all together so that we could sort of focus a bit and basically the idea of putting together events or workshops or, or mini conferences or something we, we are just I mean it's just one of our goals because we want to bring as many people together at once to get the you know any kind of information that we have rather than like talking to everybody sort of individually which of course is very time-consuming we're, we're also busy individuals so right, right. Yeah, so I mean, uh, right now I think we're at the stage where um, we're kind of getting ourselves out there in the space. Uh, where, uh, you know, the reason why we were at the Bitcoin conference and you know Stephanie actually caught up with us is uh, we 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 didn't go there for the Bitcoin conference itself. We actually went there for the cryptocurrency conference. Um, you know, uh, and the reason why we wanted to go to the cryptocurrency conference is because there are a lot of altcoin developers that were there. And we wanted to reach out to these people, and we wanted to see, um, you know, their new projects. And, um, you know, we, again, we want to combine at some point, um, you know, these developers with the uh, people who want to get educated with the students. Um, because we feel like the developers are the people who are going to kind of, um, you know, explain, well, this is the philosophy. They're, they're, they're the the truest people that can explain the philosophy behind the creation of the coin and, um, you know, what innovation this coin kind of pushes forward. So we're at the stage right now of kind of community outreach um, within Chicago and uh, within uh, the cryptocurrency space in general with developers. Um, and eventually we're, we're going to kind of mash those two together.
So I just want to clarify, when we say developers uh, of the coins, we, we largely mean the dev team, maybe not the particular uh, right. coder, but not right. comfortable speaking or whatever, but yeah. Yeah, as long as, you know, the dev team is the important, it's, it's sort of the uh, the root of the... Uh, yes, agreed, agreed, yeah, and uh, yeah, some, yeah, some people might uh, kind of, you know, be specifically there for marketing, or, you know, they might be very technical. Uh, we want, you know, every kind of person out there, because there, there are different aspects of education, uh, our users or our students might be uh, more interested in the marketing aspect rather than the technology aspect, and a lot of people might be interested in the technology aspect. We want to kind of hit, uh, you know, all of those things. Neil, John, thanks a bunch for coming on the show, and I look forward to catching up with you later in the later in the piece. All right, sounds good. Thank, Thank you, you for having me. No worries. Yeah. Take it easy, guys. That's all we've got today. Check out the Beyond Bitcoin Show subreddit for information on the aforementioned Hangouts. For recordings of said Hangouts and other tidbits, go to beyondbitcoin.fm. You can contact me, Arthur, at beyondbitcoinshow at gmail.com. Thanks to all the guys who have made this possible. You know who you are. CSIS provided the groovy tunes. And finally, thanks to Adam Levine for developing the LTB platform. What a legend. Tune in for more scintillating conversation next week. One more thing for those of you in New York City. There's a Bitcoin fair located inside the Hester Street Fair on the Lower East Side, taking place every Sunday starting June 15th. You can find tech enthusiasts, innovative Bitcoin companies, meetups, trading, and small businesses selling artisan quality goods and food for Bitcoin. Attendance is free and open to the public. Thank you.